Well, terrific to see you and how good is it to be able to get into God's word together. Why don't we pray, Father, thank you for your word and for this letter to the Ephesians. We pray that you'll blow our minds this morning and help us to see how great you are and how much you have blessed us. Amen. Well, I don't know who you would say normally, just thinking about it, in, in the, of all the people in the world, who, who lives the blessed life? Uh, you look at them and say, they're, they're blessed, they're, they're charmed. They're, uh, if you, you know, what sort of person, if you can't think of an individual? Would, maybe your mind goes to the celebrities, you know, walking the red carpet, strutting their stuff, gallivanting around the world, loved and adored. Uh, or maybe your mind goes to the stinking rich people, Elon Musk and Mark Zuckerberg, who are apparently going to have a cage fight, I've heard. Uh, I don't know why they're doing that. It's off, is it? Oh, they've cancelled. Oh, oh, so sad. Uh, the Sultan of Brunei, uh, who built a road through the jungle to drive his Ferrari, but it only is one lane wide, and so he has to have people pick the car up and turn it around at the end of it. I mean, such fabulous wealth. Are they the blessed ones? Uh, does anyone here think of, or do you think of yourself as the blessed one? Uh, who would you say are the blessed ones? I think most of us would say we feel anything but blessed a lot of the time. I, I don't know what your week has been like, uh, but I came back from holidays a couple of days earlier than planned because of sick staff. Uh, I lost my wedding ring in the pack up at the farm. Uh, I haven't heard the end of that. Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> came back and uh, ran the funeral of uh, one of our dear 8am members that Dave was supposed to run but he was sick and um, I've been to Prince of Wales Hospital several times this week because my dad's in there, he's had heart surgery on Thursday, he's a very cranky patient, he's come through it well but he's a very cranky patient. Uh, Prince of Wales is super hard to get to especially if you've got to go to the Shire first to pick up your mum who doesn't drive uh, for all these trips. And the parking fees at Prince of Wales, 30 bucks for two hours parking. Glad he's not in Royal North Shore, that's 50 bucks for two, <laughs> anyway. And then this morning, I look in the mirror and notice I'm well overdue for a haircut. I'm like a shaggy dog, you know, and I feel like one too. Now, I don't say all that to, to get sympathy from you, but just to say we all have weeks like those, don't we? I don't know what yours has been like. Maybe yours has been harder than that. Maybe it's been easier. Maybe it's been a great week. But it comes and it goes. But as we come to God's word this morning, he tells us something incredible in this letter that we're looking at this term. Something beautiful and profound. I, I, I trust will give you joy and courage and strength no matter what you're currently facing or, or what you will ever face in this life. The fact that as God's people, we have every spiritual blessing. We are the truly blessed ones of all the people in the world. And it's not a matter of playing pretend with ourselves. It's not a matter of being a Pollyanna, someone with sickening optimism who sees silver linings everywhere. This is the reality. As Christians, we have every spiritual blessing. And the Apostle Paul who wrote this letter that we're looking at this term doesn't say it glibly or with no understanding of the harsh realities of life that Christians have to face. In fact, he wrote this letter from jail, a Roman jail of all places. 
Uh, he didn't have a TV and a bed. He was chained, he says, in chapter 6, to the wall and to the guards. Um, and he's not unaware of the situation in Ephesus either. He was there for the riot. Just to give a bit of background uh, to the place, uh, Ephesus was located in what is uh, modern-day Turkey, Asia Minor, as it was called then. Um, it it's, uh, had a stunning history. If you picked up the ancient equivalent, uh, or, sorry, went to the ancient equivalent of Flight Centre uh, and picked up the travel brochure for Ephesus, it would have been stunning. you think, what a great place to go on holidays. Still a great place to go on holidays, I, I understand. Uh, the history, the culture, the architecture, Michelin star restaurants, and the highlight for world travellers then and now was the temple of the goddess Artemis. It was one of the seven wonders of the world, four times the size of the Parthenon in Greece, kind of like the Burj Khalifa to our centre point tower. <laughs> but it wasn't just the, the magnificence of the building that it just stunned people. The worship of Artemis dominated every aspect of life in the city of Ephesus. It even drove the local economy. Artemis was uh, the Greek goddess of childbirth, wildlife, the hunt, sudden death, animals, virginity, young women and archery. Uh, that's quite a portfolio. Uh, she'd probably do well in our state government. But uh, uh, the Romans called Artemis Diana. You might have heard that name. Uh, maybe you've seen the fountain in Hyde Park of her uh, in Sydney. Uh, it was beside the stag there, taking aim with her hunting bow. Uh, looks a bit different to the statues of Artemis that were sold at the time in Ephesus. Um, he's one of them. You can imagine what she was famous for. <laughs> uh, you can imagine part of the worship of her. In fact, the temple by this point had become the city's bank. People left there all their money there. Uh, for the, the, the priests could use, but it could be, you, you could bank with them. That was until the gospel came and people started realising that Artemis wasn't all she was cracked up to be, which then threatened devotion to her, uh, threatened tourism and ultimately meant no more business for the craftsmen. And you can feel the anger in that other reading we had, that first reading about the angry mob who who grabbed some of Paul's travelling companions and pushed them into the amphitheatre, uh, another one of the great sites of Ephesus with a capacity of 50,000 people. Think of the SCG. Uh, and as these Christians tried to explain themselves, they just shouted down by the angry mob for hours after hours. You know, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. It doesn't matter what you're saying. We're going to yell at you. Imagine being a Christian in Ephesus. Uh, it was an intimidating place to be for Christians, uncomfortable, as of course it is in 21st century Australia, where just as then the worship of idols is what drives the agenda. And the shouts of the angry mobs still cry out to silence Christians, though they speak the name of different gods. They're not crying, great is Artemis, they're crying, great is the great God of diversity, great is the great God of money. Great is the great God of sex. Great is the great God of selfishness. It's a spiritual war zone that we are in, just as they were then 
And there's a very real enemy behind it all, the devil himself and his minions. And Paul is going to finish this letter, which we'll get to at the end of term, with an incredible picture of what it means as Christians to be clad in the armour of God, prepared for the fight. The, uh, the way is an rea- everyday reality for God's people. It's a fight then and now. So Paul's not unaware. But as he begins the letter, he starts with an incredible call to raise our eyes above the hardship of the battle and, and to see the eternal realities. The truth that will cause us to rejoice in the midst of our struggles and stand firm no matter what opposition comes and, and pull together as God's people and even care for people who hate us. Here is the greatest of all truths that we are the blessed ones. It's in verse 3 in this opening chapter. Blessed is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavens in Christ. Paul may be chained to a wall. The Ephesians may be in the midst of real battles facing riots and accusations. We might be facing all kinds of trials ourselves but that does not mean that God is not for us or with us or has abandoned us. I mean, have a look at how blessed we are just in that that one sentence. Notice the source of all this blessing. God is the giver of each and every one of the blessings he's going to talk about. Notice who he's given these blessings to. They're incredible. Who is it? Everyone the letter's addressed to. Who's that? Well, back in verse 1, to the faithful saints in Christ Jesus at Ephesus. Now, you might see the word saints there and be confused. Uh, It is a bit confusing um, because there are so many different churches and denominations who use the word saints, uh, not as the Bible does, to talk about extra special believers from the past. Uh, The Roman Catholic Church and the Orthodox Church in particular use the word saints to talk about particularly great Christians in history who've died and gone to heaven, but not just they're, they're not just there with God, but they've been given a portfolio in God's ministry to be intermediaries between us and God. Uh, the idea is that you can call on the saint uh, to help you in their specific area of expertise uh, to get something that God has not otherwise granted. They'll make it happen. They're like the ombudsman. <laughs> for their area. St. Christopher, if you're travelling. Mary McKillop, if you're an Australian. Or the one I'd go to is uh, St. Jude, who's the saint of all hopeless cases. <laughs> it's all a load of tosh. Um, it's not what the Bible means by saints, and it's a terrible blasphemy that not only steals all the glory from God, who is the source of all the blessings, but it also means people end up praying to lies which cannot help and cannot save these almost demigods like Artemis. Who are the saints in the Bible? Well, it's anyone who's come to know and trust the Lord Jesus Christ. It's Christians. Uh, The word saint means someone who's been set apart for God, which is what all believers are. Every one of us starts life in rebellion against God and deserves nothing from him, but in receiving Jesus, we've been washed clean, declared holy and set apart. In fact, the the word for holy and the word for saints are the same root word, hagios and hagioi. uh, The hagios of the saints and hagioi is to be holy. But 
we've been set apart. So when Paul's addressing all the faithful saints in Christ Jesus at Ephesus, he's talking about all the believers in the church. He's writing to the whole church. If you're a follower of Jesus, then you're a saint. Not that you have glowing feet and a halo, but you, you are set apart by God. But if you're a follower, you're a saint. And if you're a saint, then you've received the blessings of God. Notice how many blessings from God we've received. All of them. God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing there in verse 3. Now, some people assume that by saying spiritual blessings, that really means pretend blessings, as if spiritual blessings are just a consolation prize for those who lose out on what's really worth having in life. But actually, Paul means the very best blessings. The, in fact, the only blessings that really are worth anything and worth having. Ones that come and will last because they come from the Spirit of God himself. God doesn't do second-rate blessings. We've not been shortchanged by him. It's not as if some Christians have zero blessings from God, others just a couple, and some have quite a lot. No, God is in the blessing business and he's poured out all of his blessings onto us. And he wants us to know that, to understand that. He's calling us to shift our perspective to consider the enormity of what God has given us in Christ Jesus and the incredible privilege it is to be his. And over the next 10 verses, he spells out just how vast that privilege is, how extraordinary the generosity of God to us in blessing in, in well, in six ways that he's going to spell. Six ways God has poured every spiritual blessing into our lives which he wants to remind us so that our minds will be blown by how fortunate we are and so that our hearts will be his. Have a look. First way God has blessed us is in verse 4. He chose us in him before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless in love before him. Here's the blessing. He chose us. That is, God took the initiative with us. We would never have thought to love God. We were so lost and confused and caught up in the world that we had no time for him. So he chose us. Notice when he chose us. Well, but even before we were born, well, even before he sent Jesus, before he even made the world, God had you in mind. That's astonishing, isn't it? He picked you, he chose you, and he chose you for a purpose, to be holy. That is, he chose you to be set apart, to be purified for him, to be one of his saints. Second way God has blessed us is in verse 5. He's adopted us. Verse 5, he had predestined us to be adopted as sons through Jesus Christ for himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of of his glorious grace that he lavished on us in the beloved one. I mean, some pastors just say the predestinations in the Bible. Well, the word is there. It says several times, in fact. And they rail against the idea of predestination as if somehow it makes God out to be a terrible monster because he picks before we do. But actually, it's the opposite. It's the loveliest thing. With abortion rampant in this nation we don't hear much 
anymore about adoption. It used to be pretty common practice. You probably know people uh, from your generation who were adopted, right? Maybe you've been adopted, I, I don't know. In the past, it was normal. A couple decides they're able to care for another child or maybe they can't have children and so they determine to find one who's unwanted or not able to be cared for. They decide to search for someone in need, uh, in need of their love, and they find a baby and they adopt it. The child has no idea of the unfortunate state they're in. The child has nothing to offer. They're just helpless and in need, which is what we were, but God went searching for us. He came. That's what God has done for us. That he did it for us before we were even made, knowing we'd be sinners in rebellion against him, is even more remarkable. It's just so wonderful. He decided he would bring us one day into his family and to share all the benefits of having God as our Heavenly Father. What a stunning blessing. Do you notice the word he uses to describe this grace in verse 6? He has lavished us with this grace lavished it makes me think of the way my mum ices her cakes or the servings of custard and ice cream we get with with the cake with the pie not the steak and kidney pie that was that'd be pretty weird but uh god has lavished his grace on us by adopting us third way god's blessed us verse seven he redeemed and forgave us. In verse 7, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace that he richly poured out on us with all wisdom and understanding. To redeem something means to, to buy it back. Uh, you're short of cash. You head down to cash converters or one of the other pawn shops and you swap your watch or your guitar for, for cold hard cash. Uh, but there's an agreement. Before they sell it, there'll be a period of time in which if you make up the money somehow, you can go back down and redeem the item. You can claim it back. You buy it back. But God doesn't redeem people from pawn shops and cash converters. No, he redeems them from the dominion of darkness and he pays himself to have us back. And the price he paid is very high. Look what he's paid. He has paid with his own blood good verse by the way to try it next time you're talking to a jehovah's witness or a mormon or someone from shinchonji uh, the latest korean cult doing the rounds in sydney when jesus died on the cross it was god's blood that was being shed for you there you go jesus and god well god shed his blood and he did it to take the punishment we deserve, to bear our guilt and shame, which is why this redemption brings forgiveness. My crimes against God have been paid for, as have yours. What an incredible mercy, what a blessing. Chosen, adopted, redeemed, forgiven. There's a, there's a fourth way God has blessed us in verse 9. He has made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure that he purposed in Christ as a plan for the right time to bring everything together in Christ, both things in heaven and things on earth in him. What's the blessing? That we of all the people in the world 
are the ones who get to know what the point of life is. God has shown us what real life's about. The rest of humanity are scrabbling and scrambling and scratching in the dark. The atheists, well, they say there's no purpose and so just do what you like and what does it all matter? We're just accidents anyway. The whirling dervishes spinning themselves into a trance as they spin round and around as fast as they can because they think that's the way to unification with God when really it's just getting extremely dizzy and feeling faint. <laughs> the Hindu aesthetics starving themselves, hoping to disentangle themselves from the material world and escape into pure energy as they sit in their lotus position. The, the people in Ephesus worshipping Artemis, getting their jollies off while thinking they're doing something holy while the artisans and priests make a fortune. It all comes from living in the dark, blind to the God who made us and the purposes which he's instilled into the universe. But when we come to Christ, adopted, redeemed, forgiven, we're given clarity to see what God's on about, that everything is about Jesus. We know God's end goal. We know his plan is to glorify Jesus as Lord of all. And so we know the real point of life and and we start to act and value things very differently and rightly. What about the fifth way God has blessed us? He says we've received an internal inheritance. That's in verse 11. In him we've also received an inheritance because we were predestined again according to the plan of the one who works out everything in agreement with the purpose of his will. Nothing mucks up God's plans and his plan is to give us an inheritance. You know what an inheritance is, right? I Looking at this congregation, you probably received one at some stage. It's something you get given to you because you are your parents' child. Yeah, <laughs> it may have been small in this world, yeah. Your parents had you. You had no say in that matter. At least I hope you didn't. Uh, I can't think how you would. Um, but we're now part of God's family, adopted as children, and so we share in the family estate, God's eternal kingdom, which, which puts the, the inheritance of this world and the hopes of this world and dreams and squabbles about earthly inheritance to shame. We don't need to fight and squabble amongst ourselves for a measly share of what's left over after all the debts have been paid. We get a share of glory. And it's a certainty we'll get it because God has given us a down payment, which is the last part of this lavish, abundant, rich blessing that God has poured out on us. It's in verse 13. In him you are also sealed with the promised Holy Spirit when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and when you believed. The Holy Spirit is the down payment of our inheritance until the redemption of the possession to the praise of his glory. If you've come to trust Jesus, you know he died for you, you're sure he's alive, you've embraced him as Lord of your life, you have God living with you now by his Holy Spirit. When did we receive the Spirit? Well, the moment we came to Christ. This Holy Spirit is the one who opens our eyes to see our need for Jesus to save us in the first place. It's the Holy Spirit, we read elsewhere in the, in the Bible, who helps us understand God's holy scriptures. Without 
without him, it'd all just be gobbledygook to us as the rest of the world finds it all a bit weird and mysterious. He works in us to change us as we hear God's word, to put it into action. He enables us to call on God as our father. He is the enabler of faith. Uh, He will uh, give us the weapons that we need in the fight, in the spiritual battle we're going to read in chapter 6 at the end. Again, what a blessing from God that he should be so kind and so generous to take up residence in my life and in your life in such a way. Every spiritual blessing is ours. Chosen for holiness before the world began. Adopted as sons and daughters of the living God. Redeemed. Forgiven of our sins. All paid for by Jesus. Given the knowledge of God's plans and purposes and will. Given inheritance in heaven and sealed by the very Spirit of God. What more could you want? Praise be to God for his generosity. But the question is why? Why would God lavish his love and grace on us in this way? We don't deserve it. None of us do. Why why would he do it? Well, it all ties back into God's plans and his purposes. What's his plan? Verse 10 again. God's plan is to bring everything under the headship of Jesus Christ. And he started with us. Things in heaven, things on earth, the living, the dead, his friends, his enemies, are all going to come and bow before the throne of this king, this Christ. Everyone will know it. Jesus is the Lord. They will admit it willingly, unwillingly. There'll be no denying it. He is going to reign over everything. That is God's plan. Which is why each and every one of these incredible blessings that we have only come through Jesus. You can't have them any other way. And it's why you can't, um, if you go back through the, the six blessings later, you'll see that Jesus actually is integral to every single one of them. Uh, for example, verse 4, God chose us in him, in Christ, to be holy. Verse 5, God predestined us as, to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ. It's the same with all the rest. He is the linchpin. You can't take Jesus out of the equation. Why not? Because he is the basis, the purpose, the goal, the author, the alpha, the omega, the beginning and the end of all things. He is the one we were made for. He is the one we were saved for. He is the reason we have any and every spiritual blessing. He is the one that you and I have been set apart for, saints, set apart for the pleasures and purposes of Jesus, our Lord. He's done it so that we might be, he might be glorified in us and through us. There's another little phrase that keeps getting repeated right through the section. I don't know if you noticed it, verse in verse 6 verse 12 verse 14 to the praise of his glorious grace verse 6 to the praise of his glorious grace verse 12 to the praise of his glory again in verse 14 to the praise of his glory the reason god has loved you and blessed you and cherished you and given you every spiritual blessing is so that you will be a witness and a testimony to the world about jesus and his love and power and mercy. How it is that God 
takes broken sinners who've nothing to offer, groping in the dark, worshipping lies like Artemis, and he completely remakes them into incredible displays of his glorious grace. Well, let me wrap up with three implications. Number one, don't let anyone confuse you into thinking you've missed out in some way as a Christian. There are various strands of pseudo-Christian teaching that say, if you've received Jesus, well, that's a good start, but you haven't yet got the real deal. You haven't got the real blessing of God, right? Chinchon Jay, which is currently doing the round, says, well, good start, but come read the Bible and we'll show you how Shinchon Jay is actually the source of all spiritual blessings. Uh, it's not. A classic one is those who say you need a second blessing. You become a Christian, great, you want to become a real Christian, you need a second blessing. Feel free to say no thanks to anyone who offers you a second blessing from God. You can be sure that it won't be a blessing from him because God has already given us every spiritual blessing in Christ. Right? There isn't another one. Second implication. Be filled with joy rather than being filled with bitterness. It's so easy to dwell on the things that we don't have or to focus on the troubles we're facing each day or each week, which they're real and they're painful. Not denying that. But we can forget that we really are the blessed ones who've received everything heaven has to offer and we can start to live in resentment because we're focused on the problems, resentment towards God, resentment towards other people, rather than living in joy and gratitude. When we know the reality of God's blessing, we can say with Paul, with no hint of a lie, our light and momentary afflictions are producing for us an eternal incomparable weight of glory right what momentary troubles getting chained up in a roman jail with no hope of release and going to be executed one day yeah light and momentary trouble <laughs> lost your wedding ring light and momentary trouble might be longer than momentary but <laughs> hi honey uh, third implication Make it your life's aim to please God. Whatever you're doing, please God. That, that really is the point of life and it's why he's blessed you and me with every spiritual blessing. And it's what the rest of this glorious letter is about. So keep coming back for the rest of it. It's why he's given us this letter so we might know what life is about and how wonderful he is and how right it is to love and serve him even in the midst of drama. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, as we reflect on this wonderful truth that we are the recipients of every spiritual blessing you have to give, we pray that we would never be, cease to be filled with joy and thanksgiving. What you have lavished on us is so wonderful and so undeserved. But thank you for your love towards us in Christ Jesus and all the benefits that flow and now we pray with Paul that our eye, the eyes of our heart may be enlightened so that we may know the hope of your calling, the wealth of your glorious inheritance in the saints and the immeasurable greatness of your power towards us who believe by the mighty working of your strength. Amen.